Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley and this is the 517th show of ROI. Our noted guest for today's show is Mr. Mark Anderson, staff archaeologist at Sanford Museum in Cherokee, Iowa. Mr. Anderson is going to talk to us about the Sanford Museum, and joining us for the second segment of the show will be our history buffs, Ed Broders and Terry Toppler. To begin with, we would like to introduce Mr. Anderson to the show. Hello, Mark. Hi. Uh, we call this first segment Fadrok Denarin, and our goal is to give our listeners a little background on today's subject. So can you start us off with some of the back- basic information on the Sanford Museum and how you ended up there? Certainly. Uh, The Sanford Museum is a private institution located in Cherokee, Iowa. Uh, It was uh, created uh, through an endowment by the uh, Sanford family in memory of their son, Teal, who uh, was born unknowingly with a heart condition, uh, diagnosed later, uh, had a very successful life up till about 27 when he died. And so the, uh, the Teal's that being their only son, bequeathed uh, money such that Cherokee could build itself a a good science museum, which is one of the things that Teal Sanford really liked. Okay. So when was the Sanford Museum um, established? I have been to Cherokee several times because I am a uh, adamant biker and rag bri. And, uh, of course, we're always pedaling in and pedaling out. But um, where is it in the location of Cherokee, and when was it established? Uh, the museum is on uh, at 117th uh, East uh, Willow Street, which is just on the very north corner, northeast corner of downtown Cherokee, and it opened in 1951. Okay, and for the very beginning, what was the first premise? I know they opened this up, as you said, in honor of their son, but, I mean... It's a museum, so you have to have a starting point. And what was the subject matter of starting point for them? And I went to the website and looked around. It seems like you guys have obviously grown in the last 72 years. Yes, um, and yet our mission remains the same. Uh, The Sanford Museum was uh, opened offering permanent exhibits about the uh, history of northwest Iowa. It also features a planetarium. It is the first planetarium in the state of Iowa and one of only three in existence currently. So it had a very special place offering things uh, you couldn't get in any small town virtually. Uh, It focused on uh, the history of Northwest Iowa and included the geology, the paleontology, and archaeology of the area. Okay, so let's start off with the geology. Um, I've been up there in that area countless times, and of course there's the Lowe's Hills. Uh, I'm assuming that you guys have pretty much some sort of obvious recognition and uh, research on that area because those definitely impact Western Iowa. Yes, uh, we have a a section in the basement of the paleontology that covers the geology, all the bedrock uh, systems and the ages and the fossils that come with them. Um, Cherokee is in a very interesting position in the Little Sioux River Valley uh, in that it sits down deep 
in a very incised valley. And that was an effect of the last glaciation when a large lake called Lake Spencer uh, was formed and then episodically drained and flushed massive amounts of meltwater down the Little Sioux River Channel, carving out the, the valley as we see it today. Okay, so let's go to the paleontology then. Um, so where, what are the records of, let's say, the first settlers? How many years ago do they have estimation of um, reaching the area which we call Northwest Iowa? Well, if we're going to do paleontology, we got to leave humans out. So uh, I will got just that mixed up. That... I meant to say archaeology. Sorry, my bad. No, Anthropology blew that. <laughs> <laughs> just fine. Um, the paleontology is fascinating. Uh, the river and uh, its creation uh, was uh, uh, resulting in uh, massive amounts of sandy, gravelly sediments, and uh, those are great for containing the bones of prehistoric creatures. So. Uh, the Little Sioux River Valley throughout its whole extent, but particularly in the Cherokee County and vicinity, uh, produces all kinds of megafauna from the last ice age, including mammoths, mastodons, camels, giant beavers, uh, ground sloths, uh, a wonderful panoply of, of uh, no longer extant animals. Okay, before I go into the... Uh, humanoids, uh, back to staying with paleontology. Are there any other um, glacier cutout regions? Because um, obviously Iowa is impacted more by glaciers than most states in our 50. Are there any other areas out there that you're going like, wow, this was at one time a glacier lake that dried up? Or is there other evidence of that in northwestern Iowa? The Little Sioux Valley is unique because of this Glacial Lake Spencer mass drainage. So there isn't another landscape feature like the Little Sioux River Valley in Iowa. Um, but there is a similar sort of uh, occurrence in other places, but probably the best well-known is the Scablands of eastern Washington State, where Glacial Lake Missoula had multiple flood episodes and created a very unique landscape, including some very deep river channels similar to the Little Sioux River. Okay. So anthropology, what does our records have there for the first humans coming to possibly settle in northwestern Iowa? Well, all 99 counties in Iowa have evidence of what's currently known as the earliest settlement, which would be Clovis projectile point people. And uh, that's roughly 13,000 years ago. And so there have been Clovis points found in, in Cherokee County and Northwest Iowa. So people have been uh, in the state and particularly Northwest Iowa for a very long time. Okay. We have a lot more to talk about, so please stay tuned for the next segment of the show. This is ROI on KLA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. In times of joy, in moments of grief, broadcasters come through even when all else fails. Today, with more ways than ever to experience the moments that transform our lives, Americans still choose broadcast radio and television more than all other media combined. We are the local broadcasters of radio and television. 
reaching more people, touching more lives. Brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley and this is the second segment of the show referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our guest for today is Mark Anderson, staff archaeologist at the Samford Museum in Cherokee, Iowa, and we'll be talking about that museum. Our history buffs for today's show are Ed Broders and Terry Toppler. Terry, why don't you start us off? Okay, thank you. Yeah, Mark, um, if I brought my grandchildren up there to the museum, uh, when I go to the prehistoric animal exhibit, what would I see? Would I see, like, whole skeletons? Would I see maybe mammoth teeth or fur? Uh, what exactly, you know, would I see? Uh, well, you would uh, see the animals as they were painted roughly to scale on the back wall. In the foreground would be uh, essentially individual bones representing many of these animals. So uh, a five-year-old would be able to stand next to a, a mammoth leg bone and realize one wow. bone is as big as they are. Wow. <laughs> so they would not only be able to see these things, but they can touch many of them. Mm. You mentioned the mammoth tooth. We have yes. the difference between a mammoth and mastodon, and the kids can touch them. And uh, it's, a, it's, it's an exhibit as most of ours are, intended to uh, uh, foster the idea that uh, um, kinesthetic, we're all kinesthetic learners. We learn by doing and seeing and touching. Okay. Ed. Yes, uh, Mark, on the website, um, I clicked on a picture of uh, what was described as glyphs, which appear to me to be etched into, uh, into stone. Those aren't very common in Iowa, are they? Not terribly common, but yes, they do exist in a variety of places, particularly northeast Iowa, where you have very good bedrock exposures uh, that are easily um, worked with stone tools to peck or grind an image into the rock. Are we talking about limestone? Um, in northeast Iowa, yes. The uh, image you saw is called Pilot Rock. It is a very, very large piece of Sioux Quartzite, which is a uh, 1.8 billion year old bedrock around this part of the state. And uh, Native Americans for probably a couple thousand years uh, uh, ground and, and hammered, or what we call pecked, images in them of turkey feet, of uh, zigzags, of all kinds of things. Okay. Um what could you talk or provide our listeners with a little bit more about the planetarium? You said before that you're one of three active ones in the United States. Um, could you describe to them because there are different, I don't want to say interpretations, but they're different planetariums. So what is so unique about the one at Sanford? Well, the first thing that's really unique about it is it was the first in Iowa. And so People in Cherokee and the surrounding area got to access things that you couldn't at the major universities. Uh, so that's one thing that's very unique. Uh, another thing that's very unique is the programming has always been free and open to the public. And so when shows are put on, um, we put them on, I believe it is on, uh, 
I forget the two days. One of them is Sunday. They're done twice a week, and uh, anyone can come in. They're done oftentimes seasonally, so they're showing you things in the sky that you can go home and look at. And uh, it's, a, it's a really excellent opportunity for uh, uh, people to, to understand what they're seeing in the night sky, which in northwest Iowa, because of low population densities, smaller cities, um, is usually viewable in most places. Okay. Terry. Yeah, Mark, With often with museums, you have the permanent exhibits as well as the changing ones. And I noticed that your West Gallery is one that changes and that on your website it said you have like five major exhibits a year there. Could you talk about one of the exhibits um, that is currently there or has just been there? Yes, I'll try and do both quickly. Okay. Uh, the exhibit that just finished uh, was a wonderful series of maybe uh, three or four dozen uh, high-resolution photographs of the surface of Mars. Wow. And there were descriptive pieces beneath which explained what you're looking at. And essentially what was the key of that display was that landforms uh, and effects of erosion and water and such on Earth are present mm. on Mars. Okay. So the, the histories of our planets were similar up to a point. And that was the exhibit that just closed. We're now working to open a new exhibit on uh, on the different biomes of our planet, from tall grass prairies to coral reefs to all of, I can't remember the other three or four uh, examples, uh, but that's the upcoming uh, exhibit, which should open in middle April. Okay. Ed. Yeah, Mark, can you tell us a little bit uh, about the museum's affiliation with uh, the Northwest Iowa Archaeological Society. Uh, they both began at the same time, 1951, and I, I jokingly say that it was actually the Northwest Iowa chapter that got the bigger Iowa Archaeological Society going. Um, I don't think I'd take a lot of argument on that. Uh, there was a very eager, interested, and industrious group of avocational archaeologists in Northwest Iowa, so when the museum opened with that focus, it was also uh, being directed by a fellow named W.D. Frankforter, and he was an archaeologist. So a lot of site records were made and archaeological site visits and collections and organizations of field schools. And so it was really a motivator for archaeology across the state of Iowa. Okay. Um, your calendar shows that you guys have uh, a display for the entire month of March of Aubrey Essing. Could you please give our listeners an idea about this person's work and uh, their past history? Um, I, I don't know enough about the individuals, but that portion of the museum changes every month. And uh, it, excuse me, it features uh, local artists. And they're able to display the type of artwork that they do. And there's descriptions about the art and about them. And uh, like I say, that changes every single month. Uh, the current display is a lot of um, uh, acrylic paints on canvas and very colorful and bright and lively art. Okay, so um, just to follow through with that question, I understand that it's on a monthly basis that changes. But uh, you've, I'm sure in the past, since for a long time, you've had all uh, backgrounds and genres of art that's been represented in your museum? 
Yeah, the, the previous one uh, uh, was a different style of art using uh, multimedia materials. Uh, yes, they do change. And uh, we have them scheduled in advance for a year. So we already have an entire 12-month lineup of really great artists. Fantastic. Terry? Yeah, I'd like to piggyback on that question about um, the local artists that you feature. Are there... Is it divided by perhaps age groups at all, or are you looking only at adults and not uh, like public school or private school aged children and their art? Um, tell me a little bit more about that. I'm, I haven't been there long enough, but I've okay. visited often enough, having lived in Iowa now for 37 years, mm -hmm. that uh, I do believe that there are times where we do feature the artwork of uh, K-12 students. Um, but as a general rule, these are people who are at various stages of their adult lives, either producing art all along because they're artists or they came into it late and whatever the case may be. So we really try and, and create a, a whole variety of not only types of art, but also people who create it. Yeah. Ed. Yeah, I want to talk a little more about the archaeology program uh, and the ongoing, I guess I would say, field work. Um, that you're a part of, um, how do you, you, you how do you decide, uh, or how do you know when you've found a new site that needs to be excavated? Well, in my 32-year career as a research archaeologist at the University of Iowa's Office of State Archaeologists, uh, we work through a three-phase system, where the first phase is to find and identify. Uh, the second phase is to excavate some test units to see if there's something preserved below the plow zone. And the third phase is a full-scale excavation like you might see on the cover of National Geographic. And those are the steps, even outside of that world, that we use to interpret uh, in the importance of a site and what we might do with that site afterwards. And so your probably small army of volunteers is um, probably always on the lookout for a possible excavation site? Yes, and I would say it is a small army of volunteers. <laughs> I'm, I'm currently uh, chomping at the bit a little to make sure I have enough field opportunities this year because there's a lot of people who would like to participate. And uh, that's largely because Iowa being a rural state uh, the archaeology is best known by the people who own the land. And they're the ones who find things and who go look for things or accidentally stumble upon them. Uh, but they all know, if I want answers, this is where I go or that's where I go, depending on where they are in the state. Okay. Um, on your agenda, it says on March 25th, you're having a Crocker site soil screening. Um, could you give our listeners... Um, pretty much an upbeat on what exactly this is and what's it involved? Sure. Uh, the Crocker site is uh, a 1,100-year-old site, ballpark, um, uh, representing some of the earliest uh, Native Americans in Iowa who settled down to farm. And uh, what we're going to do on the 25th of March is continue to work our way through bags of soil recovered from features. And a feature is something in the ground that you can't pick up like an arrowhead. 
And so these features were both, or not just both, they were hearths, they were storage pits, they were garbage pits. Um, they all contained materials uh, that prehistoric peoples threw away. And by careful screening, and then another process called water flotation helps us to recover charcoal, seeds, tiny artifacts that will not only give us an idea about what the people might have been eating, but will also give us environmental information so we can understand what their world was like. Okay, so when you're talking about this, how many people are involved? Uh, I see it's a two-hour, uh, it, it involves two hours, so is this pretty much a um, hands-on or that you guys have assessed everything and then you're presenting to the community what you've discovered? No, whoever shows up, I give them a bag of dirt and a, and a measuring cup and a screen <laughs> and, uh, a, of course, a recording uh, sheet. And, uh, yep, they uh, measure out how much dirt and they screen it through uh, wire mesh and uh, uh, recover artifacts that are a quarter inch in size or bigger. And all the dirt that falls through gets kept and that will be water floated. So I can deal with anyone from one or two to as many as six or eight. Okay. Terry. Yeah, Mark, I'd like to know a little bit more about some of these full-scale excavations in Iowa that you took part in. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, any really monumentous discoveries um, or something that surprised you uh, during these excavations? Well, there's always something that surprises you on every <laughs> excavation. So that's sort of a loaded question. Oh, okay. But, um, no, that's, it's a great question, too. Um, the last uh, excavation that I did that was big was actually the biggest one the Office of the State Archaeologist has done to date. And it was just south of Anthon on the Little Sioux River. It uh, was a portion of a uh, village uh, from the 1300s A.D., and uh, the Little Sioux River at that point was a channel that the railroad dug in the early 1900s, and they dug it through a part of the site. So the outside edge of the meander was eroding every decade massively, and the Iowa Department of Transportation realized for you know, 50, 60 feet, the river was only 30 feet away from the base of the road. And so we excavated large blocks uh, so that they could get heavy equipment down to lay riprap and stop the erosion. And, uh, boy, we found storage pits and, and partial house floors and artifacts. Uh, I forget how many exactly. I think we were around forty or 50,000 artifacts. So were, uh, may I ask, um, these artifacts you're talking about, were they arrowheads or were they actually like clay figures or what exactly did you find? Okay, it's really important to let everyone know that archaeologists honestly are just glorified garbage people. Okay? <laughs> we're, we're picking up other people's trash. It's the truth. And so we found uh, tool-making areas, stone tool-making areas. We found the waste of the bone waste of animals that they'd consumed for food. We found uh, corn and beans and other seeds that they grew for crops. So, you know, the bro pieces of broken pottery, oh, my goodness. You know, I thought, I thought 11,000 little chips for making stone tools was a lot. I think we maybe had 18,000 pieces of pottery. Wow. Um, yeah, it was incredible. And I'm, I'm not 
totally accurate, but I'm ballpark on those numbers. So what we're finding is really the garbage that these people left behind. And yet it's so incredibly meaningful by the way they left it and where they left it and excavation through archaeological methods preserves layers and disposition and location. And that's uh, that's the game. Uh, a wonderful puzzle that you don't have the cover picture of mm-hmm. and you get two-thirds of the way through and you realize a whole bunch of pieces are missing. Huh. Okay. Uh, Ed? Yes. Um, you mentioned that the uh, Crawford site... Um, if I understood correctly, was the is was the oldest agricultural settlement settlement in Iowa. Um, it's and- not the oldest. It's not the oldest. It's one of the first societies that we see that seems to have really become sedentary. Well, my okay. My, my question was going to be um, related to that. Is uh, is there um, any? Uh, any way to know have you found bones of larger animals and i guess everybody thinks of prairie and buffaloes but i what little i think i know of this is that there were actually more elk in iowa um than buffalo when the uh when the white men came here but uh can you tell us a little bit about the role of uh you know large animals uh as far absolutely. as absolutely bison were a primary staple but so was elk and deer um, they were all hunted um, regularly. Uh, they uh, were a local source, so they didn't really have to travel. Um, but these people, prehistoric folks just like us, uh, are advantage takers of whatever is offered to them, which shifts year to year. And so we find a whole variety of uh, of. Uh, animals, uh, not necessarily all of them consumed for food. Uh, at this 700-year-old uh, site I was mentioning, we found the wing bones of a swan. And it was quite clear that the cut marks on the wing had been made such that they could remove the feathers intact on the skin. So they may have eaten the rest of the swan, but they really wanted the feathers in a complete package. So archaeology can tell you a ton about what kind of resources they were using and and focusing on. And uh, just as an aside with that 700-year-old site, uh, we recovered the remains of at least 30 dogs, domesticated dogs. Okay. Um, When we come back, we'll wrap things up, so please stay tuned. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. You're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant. This series is produced at St. Ambrose University's KALA Radio and has been honored by the Midwest Broadcast Journalists Association and the Iowa Broadcast News Association for excellence in public affairs journalism. You can hear this edition of ROI and many previous programs in this series by visiting Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, plus Apple Podcasts. ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the Metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2. 
This concludes the 517th show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet. And the theme song for our show is titled Kayla's Theme, which was written and performed by Mark Zap Zaptel. My name is John Keeley. We would like to thank our noted guests, Mark Anderson, staff archaeologist at the Sanford Museum in Cherokee, Iowa, who talked to us about the Sanford Museum. The history bus for today's show... Uh, we're Ed Broders and Terry Toppler. This is ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. We would like to wish all our listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Hotso Pulanala, peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night. <laughs>